we certainly need to have a heightened appreciation for what Christ endured for us. Um, it's a, it's in, incredible, incredible. I guess that's probably about the only way I would I would describe it. So, uh, when I was a kid growing up, we would we would get together with some of the other kids, and we would we would do this. We would cross. You ever you ever do that? Cross your eyes. Yeah. Can you do that? Just do it for fun right now. Just don't do it. Don't look at anybody else's cross eyes. Look at your own. Or don't even look. You can't even look at your own. Can you cross? Can you cross your eyes? And we would we would have a contest to see who could cross their eyes. Okay, stop. You can stop. Okay. We would have a contest to see who could keep their eyes crossed the longest. Now, obviously, we had nothing better to do in our world. But sometimes, yeah, when you when you have that kind of thing, you know, being able to see and all that kind of thing is a bit of a challenge. Uh, and fortunately, uh, in our in our day, there are ways of addressing a whole lot of vision-related things. And what I want to do this morning is uh, enable you to see clearly the cross through the eyes of Peter. And so we're going to take a couple portions of scripture from the Book of Acts. And then uh, from his uh, uh, first epistle, First Peter, and a couple. And uh, if you have the study out, we've got the worship folder. The study outline is in there. Again, that's only there for you just to try to hang a few thoughts on. If you need to dwell on that a little bit further, uh, perhaps that'll be of help to you. So this morning, uh, just a couple verses from the book of Acts, chapter 2, and verses 22 to 24. Now, if you say, you say, now, this sounds familiar. Didn't you talk about some of this this week, last week? And and I would say, yes, I did. And it's not that I've lost my memory. I know that I did talk about that to some degree, but I want to just pick up at that point and talk about a little bit different angle uh, this morning. So Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 24, and then jump down to verse 36. Uh, Peter is preaching uh, to the congregation, or to the people anyways, and he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But, but, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We jump down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When you stop to think about it for a moment, uh, Peter has been on a journey, called into relationship to follow Jesus, and he chooses to do that. And and Peter often gets a a fairly bad rap on things. Uh, Someone might describe him as the the only time he opens his mouth is when he changes feet. It seems like he's just always constantly saying the wrong thing at the wrong time or or one thing or another. Uh, and, and I don't want to be overly hard on Peter because 
it would probably be about the same kind of situation in many of those cases. But certainly things have now developed or are developing in Peter. And admittedly, uh, in that crucifixion event week and everything, when all the disciples were scattered, and then they eventually gather in an upper room to try to figure out what's going on and what what's next, having lost their leader, their master, their savior, uh, to see what the next steps are. And then you have the experience of the empowering of the, of the people at Pentecost. Uh, there's a change that occurs. And, and certainly the Peter of Acts chapter 2 that stands seemingly un, un, unashamed, un, unafraid of simply declaring that you did this, you know, he's, I, can, I, can, I can picture him with a finger, you know, you put him to death. You and wicked men or evil men did this to him. But I want you to know that even though that was done, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And you get the first Peter and you have the whole other story there that's there. I want to talk about looking at this cross theme through the eyes of Peter. First, I want to uh, draw your attention to the passage in Acts chapter 2 we read. It's a powerful message that was the only pathway to his exaltation. When Jesus came into the world, you would think it might find the easy way to accomplish the task of, of providing salvation for all mankind. But it was it was a pathway that that led to pain and anguish along the way. There was the anguish of his suffering. The scriptures in Acts 2 talk about how by nailing him to the cross, that was the anguish. And, and if you even Google something on, on the cross of Jesus or, or something about the crucifixion of Jesus, you'll get the pictures that are there described of what that looked like. And we have nice crosses that we wear, you know, our nice jewelry, or, or we put it on a tie, and it's very uh, antiseptic that way. Uh, and, and certainly it has a, is a reminder of, of kind of a word picture for us, uh, of what Christ did for us. But when you stop to think about what he went through, it is incredible in terms of the anguish of things. The, the, the mockery, the trial, the beating, the scourging, uh, all of those kinds of things that were part of the anguish of his suffering. One, one medical doctor put it this way, and now so hold on with me for a minute as I read some of this. And, and, and uh, I, hope it, I hope it makes us squirm inside a little bit that we see what, what happened. Uh, this medical doctor referring to a variety of things says, in spite of his efforts to walk erect, this is, he's working his way up to Golgotha. The weight of the heavy wooden beam, together with the shock produced by copious blood loss, is too much. He stumbles and falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. The centurion, anxious to get on with the crucifixion, selects a stalwart North African onlooker, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross. Jesus follows, still bleeding and sweating the cold, clammy sweat of shock, 
until the 650-yard journey, that's six football fields and change, from the fortress Antonio to Golgotha is finally completed. Jesus is offered wine mixed with myrrh, a mild analgesic mixture. He refuses to drink. Simon is ordered to place the patibulum, the crosspiece, on the ground, and, and Jesus quickly thrown back with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. Sometimes in, uh, in this Passion of the Christ movie, uh, they show uh, nail prints here, but that probably would not have been the practice, probably would have been through here. Okay? So at any rate, they find that depression on the wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexion and movement. The patibulum is then lifted up in the place at the top of the... Well, they put him, on the, set him up on the cross, reading, and then this writing over the top, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's nailed in place. The left foot is now pressed backward against the right foot with both feet extended down, toes down. A nail is driven through the arch of each. Leaving the knees moderately flexed, the victim is now crucified. And as he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain, the nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid his stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. <clears throat> Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide, or carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain, while tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a terrible crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with the serum and begins to compress the heart. One remembers again the 22nd Psalm, the 14th verse. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My, my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps his fifth cry, I thirst. One remembers another verse from the prophetic Psalm 22, 
My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my mouth. And you have brought me into the dust of death. A sponge soaked in Posca, the cheap sour wine, which is the staple drink of the Roman legionaries, is lifted to his lips. He apparently doesn't take any of the liquid. The body of Jesus is now in extremes, and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. This realization brings out his sixth words, possibly little more than a tortured whisper, it is, it is finished. His mission of atonement has completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die. Now, I don't, I don't want to be morbid, but the hymn writer put it this way. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And uh, well, on this particular Sunday, we usually traditionally celebrate Palm Sunday with 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 adults and children waving palm fronds and spreading garments in front of him and singing, Hosanna, God save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is amazing how in one short week it all changed and it got unraveled and it resulted in the kind of description that I read for you in terms of the sacrifice of Jesus. And it was the only pathway to his exaltation. There was no other way that could be done to accomplish the purposes of God in order to fulfill the scripture that was described uh, for him. There's the anguish of his suffering. There's the agony of his death. They put him to death. But eventually there is also the arrival to his position that he has made both Lord and Christ. In the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, we reference this in the description. But the Old Testament, it, again, the, the crucifixion of Christ doesn't take God by surprise. It's not like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. That, that wasn't there. Here you, have, here you have Psalm 22 language. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Hmm. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night and I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and they were saved. In you they trusted. They were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. Does this sound familiar from that gospel account? Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast from birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. And then he continues to describe that, the, the anguish of the cross. And that was his pathway to his exaltation. There is no other way that Jesus was able to accomplish the plan of God than by suffering in the 
ignominious event of the crucifixion, and the Romans were very, very good at that. That's the Acts 2 message that Peter preaches. And when you get into one of his letters that he gives to the church as well, one of those general epistles that we refer to in 1 Peter, if you have a Bible with you, you need to flip over there because we're done with Acts for right now. But 1 Peter and chapter 1. I didn't, uh, well, we're going to break in verse 10 in this particular uh, portion. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. Because in this particular portion of Scripture, it's a powerful message that's predicted by the prophets. Predicted by the prophets. So look at verse 10. Peter is des describing, praising God for this living hope that he would have through Jesus Christ and, and the power of that, the benefit of that. And then he, and then he kind of goes off over here for just a moment in this wonderful look back of sorts into the tunnel of the, pro, the special revelation of God, the progressive revelation of God. Verse 10 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was come to you, that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Wow. You want to park in a portion of Scripture this week, that would be a decent one to do. And just start pulling it apart phrase by phrase. It's almost like taking a, a view on the skyline drive, and every time you come around a curve, you see this vista of things that you hadn't spotted before. Or you see something, you say, wow, it's wow. This has got the wow factor to it in terms of this portion of Scripture. And the things that are descriptive here in terms of being predicted by the prophets, it was done carefully, first of all, searched intently and with greatest care, these prophets did, and I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know how it all would feel in the process in the head of the prophet, where he would be given truth by God to declare it, and you would think it would have some application to the people or the audience that he spoke to, and to some extent it did. But sometimes the things that he that that were revealed to the prophet were things that were looking beyond the event or reality of their present stuff. It was down the tunnel of time to a time when it would be fulfilled. That's the nature of prophecy. Sometimes it's foretelling the truth. Sometimes it's foretelling what is ahead. So it was done carefully, searched intently with greatest care. It was done supernaturally. And they were trying to find out, is the language, uh, the spirit of Christ within them. And that's an amazing thing, too, that... If, if you want to talk about the, 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 the whole aspect of the inspiration of scriptures, this is, this is how God was at work. And, and the Spirit of God, even before given to the church at Pentecost, 
was existent. You know, you can go back to Genesis and see the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the deep. And, and so we know that he's existent. But it's that Spirit of God that was looking forward and, and Spirit of Christ within them that was looking forward to disclose truth about him. So, so when you have, for instance, uh, Isaiah uh, in, the, in his famous portion of Scripture in, in chapter 53, uh, he, he says, who, who has... Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord being revealed? He grew up before him like a shoot, like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should despise him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Jump down to verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now, I suspect there may have been something that might have some application to Isaiah 53 in his day, but certainly looking ahead in the process, he sees that this is something that was supernaturally orchestrated by God to reveal the actual anguish suffering of Christ predicted by the prophets. It was done supernaturally, but it was done wondrously as well. And and is this little word in the end of First Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 12, even angels long to look into these things. I, you, you, think, you think about all, the, all of the created beings. We know that when Christ came to earth, and was born, the angelic host showed up. And they were singing their songs, and they were offering their praise to God for what he had begun to do in the, in the, in the sending of his son, Jesus, to earth. And, and, and you, it's, it's almost like trying to envision a, a, maybe a large balcony uh, where, where, where the angelic host are kind of looking, if, if this is at all what, what occurred, they're looking to see what's, what's going on down there. What's going on? Here's this Holy Week, and, and, and what are they doing? This, this one that we so clearly declared is God sent among us to, to give himself for us and to, to, to lead his life and to live his life, to, to try to point men to God. And, and they're looking and they're saying, what are they doing? What are they doing? How, how, is that, how is that fulfilling the purpose of God? And here the language of it is that even angels long to look into these things. And I don't know if the angels fully understand it, but probably, they were probably sitting there saying, Wow, wow, God, what are you going to do? And, and if, if mankind experienced the, the, the disappointment, the, the heartbreak of the loss of their of, their, of, of this Jesus that was intended to, to bring salvation, and it seems like it all is going up in smoke right now. Even the angels long to look into that. And so I, I, it, it just this whole cross piece is such a powerful reminder for us of what Jesus Christ did and endured for us. Now, we can talk about it for us. What you need to do this week, if I was given homework, uh, if I was given homework, I would say what you need to do this week 
is to go and look at the cross through the eyes of Peter and, and say, this is what Jesus did for me. For me. Won't, won't do any good to necessarily just talk about what it did for that person on that side of the church or this side of the church. It, it, what, what he did for you. So, homework this week. If you choose to watch the Passion of the Christ, if you choose to walk through the portions of Scripture and the Gospels that repeat or retell the story of the sacrifice of Christ, um, don't let these two words get very far from you. For me. For me. Why did he endure all that he did? For me. And that's a wonder of the message of the cross. In the same book of 1 Peter, just a little further down the road, next chapter, chapter 2, I want to go to one final part about this final powerful message, that it's particular in its purpose. To chapter 2, 1 Peter. And verses 21 to 24. So here, here's where we, we break in. He says, to this, Peter said, to this you were called. In terms of the suffering that occurs, that, you know, sometimes beyond our control, but don't be surprised when it comes. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because, because, here's the purpose, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, by his wounds, you have been healed. Very quickly, four words. It served as an example, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. Now, I would tell you that if, if, if you knew this coming in to this, to this relationship to Christ, you probably would say, I don't know, I want that part of the job description. If I have to suffer, I should follow in his steps. I don't know if I want to endure all of that kind of stuff, the mocking that sometimes you you receive from family that you've decided to follow Jesus. The ridicule, scorn. Oh, you're one of those Bible beaters. You're one of those radical people. Sometimes you can get that. But Jesus says, follow in his example. It's an example that we follow. It served also as a substitutionary sacrifice. A substitute, someone who stands in for it. You have a substitute teacher who steps into the class for the regular teacher. You know, it's their responsibility to try to maintain some level of order in chaos. Uh, I don't know how that all works sometimes. Sometimes it's worse, better than others. Sometimes maybe Kindergarten Cop is a good movie to watch once in a while. Served as a substitutionary sacrifice. You step into place of you, you suffer on behalf of. And, and, and I, th I think certainly there are scriptures that talk about the place in which we might have opportunity to, 
to give Ireland no love, no greater love as man, anyone. The man lays down his life for his brother. And, and so I think that we have opportunity to, to sacrifice. In, but here, clearly, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 3 says, Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's the message of the cross. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. He says, for the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. That's why I focus in on this Easter season on the message of the cross for us for today. He provided the substitutionary sacrifice. It served as a way to live. Here it describes we might die to sins and live for righteousness. God longs for us to be a people who are holy, who are following after him, who live rightly, who live righteously. And it's not my good stuff. It's, it's, it's allowing the righteousness of Christ in me to just kind of spill out and leak out to people around me because I'm filled with the fruit. I'm filled with the spirit of God and that produces the fruit of God. It, it, by his spirit, and it, it affects the people around you. And so that's the way that works. It's the life of Christ. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he's level to make he's going to make alive your mortal body. And he's the one who is going to bring glory to his name because he wants you to be people who are living for him. It also served as a means of healing. I love this little portion, this little piece right there where it says, by his wounds you have been healed. That's the language of the scripture, and I believe that God is sufficient for us. We talk about Christ, our where I saw up here, up here, Christ, our Savior and our Sanctifier. I'm going to step on some of this stuff here. Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, Coming King. He's the one that's sufficient for us in our needs in body, and uh, I love that. I love that stained glass picture. You can you can look around find one there too. So the, the commercials are here. The advertisements are all here. In terms of this this ministry, by his wounds you have been healed. Now, what do we do with that? You say, well, I'm I'm a Christian. I've I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. Good for you. Probably the smartest decision you'll ever make. But are you choosing now to live? For him to follow his example. You ever been in situations where you say, Lord, I don't know if I can do this or not. Jesus and Gethsemane said, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup be delivered from me. But nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. There may be things that you may need to endure, but Understand that Christ has endured all of that in advance of your having to tackle anything. And he is sufficient and he is the source of life and he is the means of healing and health for you. The eyes of Peter enable us to view the powerful message of the cross accurately. There's no distortion. There's no stigmatism that keeps you from seeing the power of the cross. There's no embellishment. You get 20-20 vision when you come to faith in Christ. And the consequences of the cross in his story and history are pretty, pretty straightforward. The issue is, are you embracing that today? So next week when we gather together, I'll come one more time to uh, a message on the theme of the cross. 
and uh, I'll, I'll give you just a, a little advanced commercial. The message title will simply be called One Little Word. One Little Word. And, and you're, you're going to have to try to come up with the guess <laughs> what that one little word is. And I'm going to lay in money that you'll all be wrong. Unless you're a student of the Greek. And I'll get to the Greek lesson next week. One little word. Now I realize that this is, uh, this is an important week for many churches. They, they'll go through a lot of things this week. Uh, when we pastored in New Cumberland, one of the things that we uh, focused on a lot was doing something on that, what we call Maundy Thursday. It was the it was the time where we would observe communion. We did we did love feasts together. We did agape meals. We did a whole bunch of different things to try to just heighten appreciation for what Christ did. And in grateful hearts, we come to Him. Many churches will participate in Good Friday services in our community, maybe even, and they'll focus on stations of the cross. Or they, when I was in Johnstown, they they would have a procession where they would start downtown. Uh, Johnstown built, built on it. Well, everything's a hill around here. You should know that. But anyway, with, but downtown, that's the history of Flint City, all that kind of stuff. And they start downtown, and they'd work their way up to the different uh, churches along the route and stop and have a brief meditation, and they would just work this. It just an activity that they did that took several hours and just walked through it uh, just as a procession to try to heighten the appreciation. Um, this, is, this is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter, okay? So you'll get to a point. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just kind of envision you've come through the week, and you've come through to Friday. And now this Jesus that you had pinned your hopes on to be the deliverer, to be the one who would, perhaps in your mind, free you from that Roman boot, that was oppressing you is now crucified and has said it is finished. That's the last word. It's Friday. Now what I want you to, like you to do is just kind of think for a moment and you can watch this piece. Um, I think it might be helpful for us. So Frank. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betrayed. But Sunday is coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilified. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denied. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking the cow. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. 
and his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's right. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's right. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's right. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, healing forsaken by his father. Left alone and died. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's come. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a cup. Um, take advantage of each opportunity you can find this week to cultivate your heart in appreciation and devotion for what Jesus has done for you. And uh, if you've never come to the place of embracing him as your personal savior, my prayer is that this will be the week for you and that it will suddenly make sense what he has done for us, for me. You stand together with us, please. You know each one who has made their way to this place. You know their heart before you right now. And so, Father in heaven, I ask that you will let the light of life shine upon them, assuring them of their commitment to follow you or urging them to make that commitment. As we walk into this week, we realize that we know how next Sunday turns out. And for us, it may still only be Friday, but Sundays are coming. So uh, 
Just capture our hearts this week. Don't let us just go through the week without paying any attention to what your son gave on our behalf. Give us cross eyes, eyes to see the cross. We'll thank you for what you'll do. And so, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and by the Holy Spirit of God, we pray your blessing upon this people as they have come in and now as they exit to serve you. Perhaps you'll give them opportunity to share some of the things they've encountered even here today, this week, with someone that might be being prepared by you to hear a word of truth and encouragement. Give us boldness to be watching for those God opportunities. And may the blessing of Christ be upon you as you go from this place. In Jesus' name, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. All God's people say, Amen. 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 And amen. Go in His grace. Be sure you greet one another as you go.